Am I living in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? That is the big question of the series that we're busy with at the moment that we've called Thrive. And all we're basically trying to look at are different values, uh, different things that, that I believe form part of the culture that'll help us to experience life in our lives and where we don't only just survive, although it's okay that we have seasons of surviving, but that we're actually moving to seasons where we are thriving, where we are reproducing, where there is a sense of vitality. So welcome to part two of our series, Thrive. Uh, again, I'm just so glad that you guys can join us online. We loved being back in person last Sunday, but I'm so grateful that we have this incredible opportunity to connect with people that for many different reasons um, are not able to join us in person. And so uh, connect with us on the chat. You can make little comments from time to time. If you have any questions, please just hit on the connect with us button. But today we're taking a look at our second installment, which is our second core value as a church. We have four core values. That is to love God, love people, pursue excellence, and choose joy. Last week we took a look at the value of loving God and what it means to live a life that is consciously trying to be present with Him, where we get rid of distractions, where we prioritize our time with Him where we give like a percentage, where we persist and persevere, and where ultimately we progress in our relationship with God. And I encouraged you to ask yourself the question daily, how present have I been with God today? I hope that you have been doing that this past week. If not, then may God encourage you to do that in the week ahead. How present have I been with God today? That's probably one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves on a regular basis. And then secondly, I encourage you towards a practice, a practice of spending 15 focused minutes with God a day. 15 focused minutes a day with God. It doesn't have to end there, but I'd love for it to start there. And for that to be one of the priorities, one of the ways that we start our day, or maybe you start your day the night before because you have to get up too early. So then again, just to prioritize that kind of time with God. But I mentioned last week that one of the reasons that we're looking at um, our values and how that connects to thriving is that our values ultimately form our habits and our habits ultimately form our culture and our culture forms our lives. So, so if we're wanting to thrive in our lives, we need to look at our values and whether or not we're actually connecting them to habits that form a culture because uh, culture eats vision for breakfast. So we can have the greatest intentions in the world, but our habits eat our intentions. Our culture eat our intentions for breakfast. So we want to keep on working on our habits. We want to keep on working on our culture. We want to keep on working on our values. So we want to love God. And then today I'm taking a look at how we want to love people. In fact, I think one of the most uh, sobering passages of scripture that address this value of loving people is, is found in the book of John. I'll tell you where it is in a moment. But it, to give you some background, to give you some context, this is Jesus on literally his last night before he is, like probably hours before he is about to be arrested. So just to give you some, some context and some perspective, you would imagine that Jesus would be incredibly selective about what it is that he's sharing. He's been with his disciples for three years. You would imagine that he'd be quite efficient in what he's choosing to emphasize during these last moments of his time with his disciples before he's arrested, falsely accused and tried and convicted and essentially crucified. 
Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. Some of you are familiar with the story. They, they're about to have the last supper. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And then he goes on to say in John chapter 13, verse 34. Please don't miss this. My, my prayer is that we catch something today. This isn't so much taught as what it is called. Jesus goes on to say, so now I am giving you a new command. Love each other. Now we'd think, well, whoa, 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 that's not new, is it? He's, hasn't he told us to love each other before? Yes, he has, but look at what is different. Look at what is new. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You see, in the past, like, like the highest level of love was to do to others what you'd want them to do to you. But Jesus is taking it a step further. And he's saying, no, 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 no. Like, like that's fine. But actually, I want, you to, I want you to up your level. I want you to love others, not just as you hope that they'll love you. I want you to love others as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't love us in the way that we deserve. Jesus loves us far greater than what we deserve. And I want to especially focus today on the relationships that that. Christians have with other Christians, that followers of Jesus have with other followers of Jesus. You would think that that would be easy. You would be wrong. <laughs> we still all have our human nature. We have our ego. We have insecurities. We have triggers that can get pushed. Um, we're going to be doing a whole month in November on, on the topic of how we love and connect with and relate to people that are not in the family of God. So today I'm really wanting to focus on, on this relationship that actually the Bible gives quite a huge amount of attention to where we look at how we actually love one another. This is speaking about other Christians. And it should stand out to us that Jesus said that the world would know that we are His disciples, not by our declarations, not by what we are against, but actually by how we love one another. That, that it should be such a generous sacrificial, humble, pliable, willing to overlook knucklehead stuff, willing to persevere, willing to accept one another's differences, willing to, to hang in their type of love, where we're willing to even sacrifice and, and in some cases share stuff, sell stuff, give stuff. The way that we are to love one another is to be so enormous, so counterintuitive, so out of character in terms of our normal human nature that the world should actually stop and say, I'm not so sure about their God, but that's attractive. I, I want to find out a little bit more about, about what it is that they believe if this is how unconditionally they are able to love each other. If there are no strings attached, at, at first people might think that it's manipulative, that there's, that there's a, a hidden agenda, that the other shoe is going to drop. And to then find out, wait, like, you mean there's really no hidden agenda? They really love each other that much? They really, they really are able to forgive and move on and, and believe the best and not keep a record of wrongs and to be generous and helpful and, and to work through differences? That should stand out to people, to a, to a watching world that are watching the followers of Jesus. I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you 
should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This should challenge us. This should inspire us. This should encourage us. And frankly, this should be the standard amongst Christians. And not just Christians from the same church. All Christians, Christians from the capital C church, Christians from the churches across the road from one another, churches, Christians from churches that maybe don't all agree on every bit of doctrine. This should be one of the most overarching, underlying, like common threaded values of any follower of Jesus. We are to love God and we are to love people. How do we... How do we love God? I don't mind you, sometimes I'll think like, how do we actually love people like Jesus loved us? Because that's, that's, that's a crazy high standard. That's not just you're a nice guy. No, no, that takes some supernatural influence, I believe, from the Spirit of God. But if you want to have a reference point, I believe that, that the author of 1 Corinthians 13, Paul, the apostle, kind of gives us the greatest little summary. He sums it up, I believe, in two words. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, in the New Living Translation, that love is patient and love is kind. Love is patient and kind. Patience and kindness. Everything else hangs off of how patient we are, how we respond to frustrations and, and being triggered and, and our insecurities and being misunderstood. How do we respond to that? So patience and then kindness, how we treat people, how we react, but how we are also proactive. Love is patient and love is kind. And so I told you last week that each week we're going to leave you with a question and we're going to leave you with a practice. The question that I want you to go through this week with is simply this. Am I loving people like Jesus loves me? Am I loving people like Jesus loves me? What a great question to ask yourself on a regular basis, at least daily. God, have I loved people today the way that you love me? And in terms of a practice, I, I'm not giving you a tangible, measurable uh, practice to exercise daily. I just simply want to challenge you to be patient and kind. To be patient and kind. And so I want to look at just a couple of different uh, examples or principles. This is not exhaustive. There, there's a whole lot else that we can add to this list, but, but just six quick ways that I believe we can uh, exercise love. Um, different aspects of us loving people the way that God loves us. Number one, it is simply to value people. We want to value people. If I love people, I'm going to value them. Romans 12 verse 9 says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. The, the NIV, the New International Version puts it this way, love must be sincere. So don't just fake it. We can fake it at church. We can, we can fake it for a few minutes, but somewhere along the line, the truth is going to come out. So, so somehow we have to be praying and asking God to help us to truly value people, to see people through his eyes. Don't just pretend to love others, really love them hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. What is wrong? Well, gossip is wrong. Dishonor and, and discouraging one another and breaking people down and, and uh, holding on to bitterness, that's wrong. But loving people, holding tightly to what is true, to what is right, to what is good, that is love. 
The reality is that every single person that you will ever lock eyes with matters to God. They matter to God, they ought to matter to us. We cannot love people if we don't first value people, just simply as a human being, someone that is created in the image of God. In fact, I think it's Timothy Keller who said that you can be assured that we've created God in our image when we think that he hates all the same people that we do. And of course that is wrong. God doesn't hate the same people we do. No, no, we're created in his image, so we need to actually love people the way that God loves them. We have a, a statement that we've had up in our team room for, I don't know, a couple of years now, where it says that, it, because obviously we do try and see whether or not we're making progress as a church in, in the children that we're reaching, in the groups that we're caring for people through, in what we're doing through SALT and our social justice, in, in whether or not we're managing to look after guests better on a Sunday. And so there are statistics and numbers. So we always want to remind people that every number has a name, every name has a story, and every story matters to God. Every number has a name. You're not just a number to God. You have a name. You have a story. And your story matters to God. We want to value people. Even if you've done growth track and you've done the personality assessments and you realize that you're more of a task-oriented person, well, even then, the motive, the motive behind getting tasks done is to serve people because we love people. So we want to value people. I also think that as we value people, we will value different gifts and, and different personalities. We'll, we will allow God to humble us enough to actually um, be a little bit more open and flexible to valuing different gifts, different personalities, different ways that, that people approach things and, and even different weaknesses and different strengths. Romans 12 verse 4, so just a little bit earlier than what we read a moment ago, says that just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and look at this, we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. He's given us different gifts. Sometimes if you have a high level of, of mercy and, and, and empathy gifting, you might, you might question whether or not someone else is even a Christian if they don't experience the same level of empathy and the same amount of mercy. Or if you're a strong leader, you may, you may find it hard to think that someone is even serving God properly if they don't seem to have the same level of vision and drive and, and energy and motivation. We're different. If you know anything about personality assessments, it is incredible how different and diverse God has made us. And so as we value one another, as we love one another, we will be willing to not only tolerate those differences, but in many cases to actually celebrate them. So number one, we value people. Number two, I want to use the word agree. I'm not saying that we agree on everything, but I think that if we are Christians, we're going to be determined to find some common ground, any common ground. Like if you're struggling <laughs> with someone, and again, if you're serving God long enough with other Christians, you're going to find many, many opportunities where there are disagreements and, and frustrations. Okay, but is there anything we can agree on? Is it possible that, 
that, that okay, the big overarching vision, we're, we're, we're all bought in, like we agree on that. We, we, I don't like the way you want to go about it, and I don't like your personality, and I don't like the way that you talk to people, or I don't like, but okay, but, but can we agree on something? Is there, can we try and find a, a starting point, any kind of common ground? In fact, I heard another pastor comment a little while ago about, about how he deals with conflict, and says, he'll always try and remind people, okay, can we just start off with the fact that we're both Christians? So before anything else, we're both Christians. Like, can we at least just have that starting point that we both want to please God and we both want to discern God? I think that we are loving people when we will look for something, even the tiniest thing, to be a starting point of agreement. Agreement doesn't mean that there won't be conflict. It might just help us to have slightly more constructive and healthy conflict because the reality is that that there is something bigger at stake if you're disagreeing over knucklehead stuff i'm just i just want to remind you there's only one real enemy and it's not that other person and sometimes being right is not enough you might be right about something minor but then we lose the major picture so, so can we try and find any common ground that we can agree on number three i think that when we love people we will serve people. Jesus wasn't a servant leader because it was cool, because it was the latest fad in international executive behavior and thinking. Jesus was a servant because that's who he was, who he is. Jesus didn't put on a facade of servanthood. Jesus revealed the core of servanthood. Jesus wasn't humbling himself to, to fake it. He was revealing the heart and the nature of God. He was saying, if you love people, you're going to serve people. And Jesus served at the deepest level and at the greatest price. So I do believe that if you belong to a community of believers, which we call churches, you can argue over whether or not that's the right word, but, but, but in today's, certainly in the Western world, we call a local community of believers Christians, uh, or rather a church. If you're a Christian that belongs to a local community of Christians, then I do believe that, that for most of us, there is an opportunity and even a responsibility to serve, to serve one another and certainly to serve God's purposes wherever we are. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7 says that a spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Our spiritual gifts actually don't benefit us one bit. Our spiritual gifts are actually there to serve one another. It's, like, it's the weirdest thing. So we don't want to bury them, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. We don't want to bury our gifts. No, no, we, God, help me to love people in the way that I serve them. And don't be offended when God uses you. Sometimes we pray, God, would you please use me? And then when God allows us to be used, you know, we might be sensitive and say, I feel like people are just using me. Well, maybe that's God actually allowing you to be used. And that's why we want to make sure that we have the right heart. Number four. That's right. Number four. Number four, we forgive. When we love people, we choose, we are committed to forgiving one another. You cannot work and walk and serve with other people 
for any significant amount of time without somewhere along the line needing to forgive one another. And sometimes there are massive issues, sometimes they're minor, you know, first world problems, speed bumps, knucklehead things. But I do want to encourage you that we cannot love people and hold on to unforgiveness. We cannot, we cannot hold on to that offense like someone who is not in a relationship with God. Ephesians 4 verse 2 and 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Again, there's that word patient, right? Love is patient, love is kind. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults. Sometimes you wouldn't even think that that kind of thing is in the Bible if you listen to how Christians talk about other Christians. Can we make allowance for each other's faults? That's a lot easier said than done. I know that, and that's why we need God. It can't be done in the natural. It can't be done because you're just sweet or because you watched a good Oprah show you know, a couple of years ago. It, it, is, it is something supernatural. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Make every effort. Do what you can. Do the best you can, Romans 12 also tells us, to live at peace with all men. If you've done what you can and the other person's not willing, we're not saying that you have to reconcile. To reconcile takes two people. If the other person is adamant or arrogant or unteachable or not willing to come to the party, not willing to find common ground, that's between them and God. I, you, you cannot take full responsibility for reconciliation, but you can take responsibility for forgiveness. You can, you can let it go. You can, you can forgive that person. And when, when that passage talks about binding ourselves together with peace, that's not talking about a false peace. I think it's possible to come to a real peace where God supernaturally empowers you to actually let that thing go. And in some cases, maybe even let the person go. Where you maybe let go being misunderstood. I don't know about you, but for me, I think one of the hardest things for me to, to have ever dealt with in leadership has been when I, when I feel misunderstood, when people think something of me that I don't think is true and where there's nothing I can do to convince them. And so, and so it's so hard not to want to be defensive, so hard not to want to convince. And sometimes you've got to be able to just let it go and for the peace of God to wash over you. Number five, I believe that if we're going to love people, we have to bless people. And again, I actually think that this is a choice. When we bless people, I don't think we just wait for a warm and fuzzy moment. I don't think we just, we just wait to have the Spirit wash over us and, and give us goose flesh. And, no, no, no. I think that this can actually become a habit. So it's a value. We value blessing people. That value becomes a habit. That habit becomes a culture. And that culture becomes a lifestyle. And I'm not talking about patronizing. I'm not talking about flattery. Flattery is a sin. Flattery is where I, where I tell you stuff that's not actually true, stuff that I don't believe to be true. And I'm just saying it to butter you up, to make you feel better. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about actually blessing one another where we find one another uh, doing good and where we, and we were able to speak life into each other. I'll mention a little bit more about that in a moment. But especially in the context of forgiveness and where people have wronged you, which is very real, Romans 12 actually encourages us to bless those, in verse 14, to bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. That might sound crazy to some of you watching this, but I can tell you from, 
from lots of personal experience. Because yes, there are people that I've been offended with. There are people that I've struggled with, people that I have felt wronged by. In fact, to be honest with you, the people that I've struggled with the most, the people that I've gotten the most angry towards has not actually been when something's been done to me. It's when I've seen people do something to someone else and when I feel like others have been wronged and everything in me wants to be able to climb in there and do damage. And so I've had to, on many, many occasions, and I'm talking about other Christians even, Christians and non-Christians, there have been times I've seen leaders do things that I just think are unwise and abusive and are, and are hurting people. And yes, I, I have to have done stuff that has hurt others and offended others and where I've needed to be forgiven and blessed. But the point I want to make is that there have been times in my life where I've chosen to be quite conscious about actually praying a sincere blessing. I don't mean that I'm praying that they win the lottery or, or anything. like. I just mean, God, would you help them to see how much you love them? Would you help them to see uh, your way? Would you, would you help them to sense your invitation? God, would you encourage them? Would you, would you have your will done in their lives? Would you help them to flourish according to your purpose? That's a blessing. Again, I'm not talking about a trite, sentimental, weird, superstitious thing. I'm talking about a sincere, biblical, godly prayer of blessing. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. In verse 17 and 18, it says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can. I mentioned this verse a moment ago. To live in peace with everyone. And verse 21 says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. See, what we don't realize sometimes is that, is that even though we might feel like we're getting a little bit of revenge, we don't realize the price that we're paying to get that. When we curse those who curse us, we think that we're, we might even think we're getting them back better than what they've got us. But we don't realize that the price that we're paying sometimes with our soul, where we're allowing evil to conquer us. So for me to get victory over that person, I'm allowing evil to get victory over me. And so don't let evil conquer you. But conquer evil by doing good, by choosing to bless. If you're able to do an act of kindness, do an act of kindness. If you're able to pray a blessing, pray a blessing. Lastly, number six, I believe that when we love people, we will encourage one another. And again, it's not flattery, it's not trite. Proverbs 10 verse 11, the first part, part A says that the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. The words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. I've had this verse actually written out on a chalkboard in my office for a few years because I want to be reminded over and over and over again that the words of the godly should actually be refreshing. They should be life-giving. We should see and speak life into people. And so I cannot encourage you enough to, to recognize opportunities to speak life into people. We are in no danger of people receiving too much encouragement. Maybe some children, maybe some of our parents are a little bit over, over sweet and over positive, but your average person, certainly your average teenager and your average adult is in no danger of being encouraged too much. And again, I don't know if you can encourage someone too much if it's true. So speak life, recognize good in them, recognize potential, recognize what God's doing in them. Catch them being generous, catch them being faithful, catch them being kind, catch them being hospitable, catch them being sensitive and empathetic and compassionate. Whatever it is, 
speak life into people. You can even encourage people towards their next step in their relationship with God as you, as you recognize potential, as you recognize the invitation that you think God is, is extending to them. Encourage people. As I close, can you imagine, can you imagine what the world would look like if every single Christian, every single person who considers themselves to be a follower of Jesus, if every person around the world, but let's just, let's just take our community, our schools, our places of work, if every Christian was consciously devoted to loving people the way that Jesus loves us. If we, if we were determined, regardless of failure and fits and starts and making mistakes and having to apologize, if we were committed, if we, if we would persevere in being patient and kind, can you imagine the kind of salt and the kind of light that that would be to the people around us? Jesus said in Matthew 5 that, 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 that kind, those kinds of good works would actually shine and people wouldn't think, wow, we're amazing. People would think, wow, God is amazing. God would be glorified. So let me encourage you to not only love God, but to allow our love for God to, to influence us that we would see people through God's eyes and that we would love people the way that Jesus loves us. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to see people through your eyes. God, would you help us to supernaturally forgive people? Would you help us to supernaturally see the potential in people and encourage that in them? And, and God, even when we're struggling with, with different personalities, would you help us to find points of agreement that we, can, that we can work hard towards unity? Lord, help us to value one another. Help us to serve with a healthy heart. God, would you help us to love people the way that you love us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.